From Chicago, it's another edition of the Live from the Heartland show. This is number 84 during the time of the pandemic. It's for the week of January 15th in the year 2022. I'm Michael James. I'm here with my longtime running partner, Katie Hogan. We welcome all you sisters and brothers, friends, family, and neighbors. Today, we'll be talking with Marguerite Horberg, Catherine Murphy, Kimberly Waller. They'll be telling us about the celebration of life Apollo Freire, rough on the pronunciation there. Uh, we'll be joined too by our longtime sports reporting pal, Gordon Thompson, and a new friend, Han Wynn, candidate for the Illinois State Rep seat in the 13th District. Okay, let's let it roll. Indeed, morning, let's Katie. let it roll. Let's let it roll with Stevie Wonder. Okay, that's a good choice. say is the good thing happening this week is Michael James is turning 80 years old and always has linked his birthday with that of Martin Luther King Jr., one of our first heroes, both of us, as well as other birthday buddy Muhammad Ali. Long may you wave, my dear friends. Long may you wave. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate that. I'm working on it. All right. So let's uh, move on to um, What's going on nationally, uh, briefly, is we are mired in the fight for voters' rights. Uh, There is the uh, legislation before the Senate that has been passed by the Congress, uh, by the the Congress going to the Senate now, and it's completely abandoned by the entirety of the elected Republican Party. Please remember this in November, people. These people, these these are not folks who are concerned with your right to vote. Quite the opposite. They are attempting to limit it. Nothing could be less democratic. Nothing could be more important in 2022 than we get rid of these people who think it's okay to not support voters' rights. It's, we've got to send a message. God, we've got to send a message. I'm sorry, Michael, I just have to vent. You got anything on I that? I like it when you vent. I think it, that's why one of, your, the, one of the key things about the show is when you vent a little is bit. Is it? God help so us. Vent on, sister. All right. Well, I keep hoping that um, myself and any of us who are inclined get inspired to write the message that will change minds, whether it's to Republican senators, um, which I would love to write a few what I think of as one time reasonable people and how to get the words that will really go to their heart and say, this is not the right way to do things. This is America. We all get to vote. You don't get to mess with that. I'm, I'm hoping for that language to appear. 
so I could send a message. I have a couple of lines that I'm going to share sometime, but I've got to run them through the censor first. So we'll save them for another time about <laughs> the Republicans. Uh, let's move on to a little bit of labor. Uh, next week, we're going to, uh, I think, go deeper into uh, labor struggles, but everyone should know that workers continue to rise up. Um, there's a, and that's a good thing. Uh, here in Chicago, there's been labor movement on, on Amazon, at the Art Institute, and at Starbucks. There's a, a union drive going on at Starbucks, uh, both at locations downtown and in Logan Square. Uh, all of this follows the Starbucks union starting up there in Buffalo, New York, and it is spreading around the country. So more on this to come. Remember, workers are rising up, and we like that. Okay. Uh, COVID-wise, we're still in, under the grip of Omicron, but a lot of people in the last few days have begun to say, to observe and, and remark on the leveling out that's happening. Um, one of the ways to measure how things are going on, unfortunately, is in the captive population. And Sheriff Tom Dart this week reported that COVID cases are dropping in Cook County Jail for the first time since this latest surge. It's interesting to have that as a research spot. Um, anyway, uh, good luck, everybody. Stay safe, wear your masks. Yeah, wear the mask, get the shots, keep your distance, get tested. Okay, uh, here on the local front in the 49th Ward, I'd just like to give a shout out to our, our alderwoman, Maria Haddon. Uh, I've watched her on Facebook early in the morning. Uh, she keeps us informed about what was going on during the standoff between the teachers union and the uh, Chicago Board of Education. And uh, she also uh, encouraged people to keep their sidewalks clear and warned people about the uh, slipperiness that was going on out there. And uh, I think it's good. I like, I like seeing her as, you know, I've, I've just been up for a little while and there she is out there doing the work. Good alderwoman. Thank you. Do you find this um, on, in posts she posts in Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, it was Facebook Live, I think. She goes yeah. on Facebook Live, you know, and I, she I'm is waking hands up. On. She is hands-on as a local she leader. Is. And we like that in an older person. That's what they're supposed to be, actually. Um, and we've had a few hands-on older people in our lives. So yeah, we've had, good, we've had we two in a row it. that are good. We expect it. Um, okay. So you are listening to Live from the Heartland, Heartland at Home edition number 84 on WLUW 88.7 FM. Stay tuned. We will be right back with our first guests. See how the rain falls, falls on the tree where he hung. It falls on the farmer who tied. And on the grave where the last hymn was sung See how the rain falls Falls without a sound It falls on the farmer who locks the barn door It falls on the churchyard ground The farmer smiles as he looks at the sky 
Well, thank you and welcome to our guests. Um, what we just listened to was Julius Lester singing See How the Rain Falls. Um, he was a famous guy, maybe Marguerite can tell us why she uh, suggested him, but I'm so happy to have the faces behind the event that we've been telling you about occasionally since it started, which is the celebration of Paulo Freire's centennial. Um, so we're, we're happy to have you here to share with our audience who Paulo Freire was for some who don't know him, but also why we should be uh, celebrating this at this exact moment historically. Thank you so much. And let's start. Hey, Marguerite, uh, long time. Hi, Catherine. I'm, yeah. uh, hi, Katie and Michael. I'm gonna kick it right over to Catherine so she can jump in and talk about uh, her two films we're gonna see on January 23rd. So we've been doing this uh, this series of um, for honoring the Paulo Ferry centenary starting last September, which was the 100 year anniversary since his birth. Paulo Ferry was born in September of 1921. And um, so with Hot House and the Literacy Project and with a really beautiful team, including scholar Kimberly Waller and scholar educator and our other colleague Rita Sakai and others, we have put together a series of programs focusing on liberation education and this long arc of struggle toward um, education justice that many, many generations have carried on. And we certainly need to be pushing it forward and sort of in the spirit of pushing it forward. So our next uh, upcoming film um, uh, event is on January 23rd, Marguerite just mentioned, and it's about literacy and voting or the connection between education and voting. And two of the short films that will be included were produced by the Literacy Project. Um, one is called They Say I'm Your Teacher. And it is a nine minute short that was um, on the uh, South Carolina citizenship schools that were started by Septima Clark, Esau Jenkins and Bernice Robinson, who's not such a known name, not a known enough name mm -hmm. for us, but she was the first cousin of Septima Clark and she was the first teacher in the citizenship schools. She was recruited by Septima Clark to be the first teacher. And this short film is made with the original uh, 16 millimeter archives of Lucy Massey Phoenix, who interviewed wow. Septima Clark and Bernice Robinson in 1982 and made a beautiful film called You Got to Move out of which this is taken. Um, and then the other film is will be shown for the first time. It's a, a six, seven minute work in progress on the SNCC and Core Freedom Schools of Mississippi in the early 60s that are sort of, you know, very intimately stitched in the quilt to the citizenship school. So really delighted about this event and hope folks will show, will, will join us. And again, talking about the link to voting and voting rights and how we need to be thinking about that right now, working on that right now. Right. It, um, did you want to direct something else, Marguerite, to, to um, yourself? Or, or uh, cause I want to- I was going to be the, the, the the cleanup speakers. <laughs> That's so good. I'm going to kick it over to Kimberly, Kimberly so she, she could talk about her work. And... Thank you. Before I pick up the baton, could we mention the fact that January 22nd, there's going to be a little a bonus movie that's that's free and uh, say a minute about that. Yes. Can is that the is that the um, let the people decide? Yes. Is that what you're, yeah, I was just going to ask about that. He took the words right out of my mouth. Okay. It, who do I ask? Do I ask you, uh, Kimberly or, or Catherine? 
Kimberly. Keep it with Kimberly. Okay. Tell us, Kimberly, what's going on? Actually, that is a movie that talks about something that's really relevant today. And for the the elections that are be coming up, our, our local elections, our statewide elections uh, in November, understanding the fact that there is um, a current, right? Uh, during that time, the idea of people who are from my community in particular, having the opportunity to have voting rights and the risk of being able to fight for those rights. And the movie, I, I mentioned this before, was difficult for me to see. There were really hard parts to see. And I tried to watch it with my mom who was originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. And it was, it was painful for her as well because she lived through those moments and that struggle and today it's a little different because there's not uh, the um, overt necessarily violence, but there's a soft violence that's happening when people who are disenfranchised are not allowed to exercise that right of being a citizen. And that movie is really uh, an opportunity for us to reflect about what's happening today and how we can mobilize and galvanize a community so that those outcomes can be uh, more favorable to us um, the day after the election. So what we should tell people if they're just tuning in, we're talking about um, an event that's online. It's the Hot House and uh, the Literacy Project in coordination, right? Um, coordinated to uh, put together this, yeah. this year long celebration of Paulo Freire's work and life. And um, Kimberly, what you just said about tying uh, it to the current um, struggle is, thank you for saying that because we had just before we introduced you guys uh, covered what's going on in DC and how it's incredible that half of the sitting representatives, i.e. all of the Republicans mm. are sitting out supporting voters' rights. And we should never ever let anyone forget that they are doing that right now. And it may not be blood violence, but it is violence. You are so right. Um, well, it's tonight, violence. Huh? Go ahead. Mar Mar I was going to say, you know, it is considering seven people died on January 6th, I would say blood violence is uh, well, part, right. of the, part of Absolutely. the mix. Absolutely. Marguerite, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about Paulo Freire and how it is that he is someone that is in, so inspirational that he deserves a year of centenary marking. How's that? <laughs> or more. Um, That's a well, good question know, for the cleanup Hot, hitter. Hothouse's hallmark is really to, I think the, the, the hallmark of Hothouse is really to marry high quality programming with activism and social justice activism and the whole point of the series and each program within the series is to punch up a way that people who are watching can actually get involved and not just kind of be entertained or sort of have a passive relationship with culture, but to actually find um, a, a way into what they're seeing to then do something concrete and tangible. And that's something that we feel really distinguishes Hothouse's work and the literacy project from other kinds of uh, nonprofit or other kinds of cultural work. 
So Paulo Freire, I think, you know, was a touchstone on so many levels. One, it, he really spoke, speaks to this idea of self-determination and self-articulation of um, actualizing your own uh, personhood through literacy. And I've been very fortunate to meet Catherine Murphy, who's got a, a whole catalog of amazing films and Kimberly Waller and also Peter Kuttner's part of the project and Rita and together the five of us have had a series of about 10 programs um, that have really tried to look at different aspects of where literacy and education has had a profound community base of organizing and how people have been victorious. And I think what we're very keen to, to uh, push forward is this idea of optimism and the, um, the actualization that people can have through organizing. So some of the films we've shown, uh, you know, last month we showed a, a film about indigenous people in the outback of Australia called Yo Se Puede, which used the Cuban model of um, teaching people how to read to empower folks. It looks, Michael, like you want to ask a question? No, I was just uh, giving a signal that I was going to follow up. <laughs> so, okay, so then I'll just say a few other words that I think it's our intention and we received a small grant from the Illinois Humanities Council, which we're grateful for, um, to follow up our series with additional work to create a curriculum and an online resource on the um, Literacy Project website. And uh, we've had so many amazing conversations that are intergenerational through the whole course of the series. And we found that it's a very um, important, I think, uh, oral history document to have the voices of people like Jose Lopez and Bill Ayers and Sande Grande and Judy Hoffman and you know, the people who are part of the Maestra uh, alphabetization project in Cuba, Kimberly and Rita, who's a profound Freire scholar, and just have all of these people's voices and their conversations um, documented, we think is really uh, important. Go ahead, Michael. I have a collaboration with the Literacy Project. In your video, Kimberly, you described the Cuban model for all but eliminating illiteracy in Cuba. Tell us about the work of the project here and in Chicago, in Chicago, and why you think uh, we should model it after Cuba. For a number of reasons, but number one, Cuba has, in 1961, they were able to, just as a little bit of a background, were able to effectively teach um, nearly 1 million people how to read because at, at that time they had, as we do in this country, uh, an issue with um, literacy, meaning alphanumeracy, reading and writing. But they weren't just dealing with reading and writing, they were doing with, dealing with environmental literacy, health literacy, because they had to com combat parasites. It doesn't matter if I can read and write, when I leave the school building, I know that I'm not cared for. 
I know that I'm not valued. I know that I don't have agency or self-efficacy. Those are just as important for you to recognize your humanity as it is being able to write your name or being able to, to count because we're more than just um, that part of ourselves. We're whole beings. And I think that that was the key, one of the keys behind the success of the literacy campaign. Uh, we're going to be running out of time. So I want you, all of you to share one more time how people tune into this, hook up to it, uh, and what are the specific things that they should know and be looking for? I think the best way people can find out more and find where to watch is hothouse.net is our website. And all the links are there. And I wanted uh, Kimberly just to have time to say one thing about the program that she's curating in February or March. So if we have a second or two, she can mention that. Go ahead. Put it on your calendars, February 20th, we'll be screening a movie uh, that's just actually a, a teaser. It's going to be talking about ed education clearly, but on March 20th, we're going to have some dynamic speakers that are going to be talking about the foundation of the fifth point of the, um, the Black Panther Party's uh, program about self-determination and about culturally relevant uh, pedagogy and instructional approaches to learning about your, your community and the resiliency that's part of um, our survival in this country. I'm, I'm really sorry that we're running out of time because I wanted Catherine to ask you more about the literacy project. So maybe we're gonna have to have you back if that's okay. We'd be um, happy to come back. We'll be doing programming for a couple more months. So absolutely. Are you joining us from the West Coast? Catherine, why don't you say your website? Our website is theliteracyproject.org. And also the events on uh, January 23rd will be live streamed through Facebook. I also wanted to say, I think Twitch, right? The Hothouse Twitch channel, Hothouse Facebook page. And then we'll be, um, you know, multiplying that through the Literacy Project, um, social media sites and others. I think Highlander is also, two of our speakers in January are the co-directors of Highlander Center. And they will also be um, live streaming through their sites but all based with, at, at Hot House. But the Literacy Project um, is, we do short and medium length films, lifting up the long arc of struggle for education justice, literacy justice through an intersectional lens, looking how it connects with racial justice struggles and economic justice and issues like voting. Catherine, real, real quickly, how do you uh, choose the films? <laughs> Michael, that's We have a very, very long choose the films to do. <laughs> We're looking at like, let's just say connecting past, present and future. People that have worked on education justice struggles in the past, reaching back into that past, but also seeing that as you know, fuel for now and looking forward and keeping people energized to continue um, fighting for education, quality education for all. I wanna thank you all. Um, uh, it's been great to meet Kimberly and Catherine. I am really touched that we got to have you today for uh, this time. We'll, we'll have to have you back when we have a fuller segment, um, more time. Um, so thank you, Marguerite, for introducing us. And uh, we'll uh, say, look, looking forward to January 23rd, the next installment of the Paulo Freire Centennial. And someday I'll talk to you about meeting him in Ivan Illich's school down in Mexico. But that's another wow. story. Well, thanks for bringing up the memory of Julius Lester and also for yeah. someone mentioning Highlander Folk School. Amen. Amen. See you later. All right.
thanks you Thank all. You. It was an honor. <laughs> it's always a great pleasure to introduce our pal, the noted educator and track coach, Gordon An Thompson. alternative host. Yeah, you could be an alternative. You could be on anytime you want almost. <laughs> Anyhow, good to see you, Gordon. And uh, I got to tell everybody that I've been totally possessed by the Chicago Bulls, who took a big hit from the Nets the other night. But I'd like for you to maybe fill us in on the rest of the sports world. What's going on? What's important? What's caught your attention? Uh, you know, the Chicago, Chicago Bulls are a great team to follow. They got one of the best coaches in the world uh, who came not just from the, the Thunder, uh, but prior to that, he was the Florida Gator coach and won two national championships for the your for, alma mater. Yeah. And so Billy Donovan is is the real deal. Every player loves Billy Donovan, and, um, and most management do like him too. I'm surprised he's tolerating the Bulls' management, though. So the world of sports, what's cooking is, uh, hey, the Winter Olympics is right around the corner, starting on February 4th and going to February 20th. And I got to say, I really, even though I'm a summer Olympic guy, track and field, I love the Winter Olympics, and the one event that really floats my boat is the number one endurance sport, and that is cross-country skiing combined with shooting the biathlon. <laughs> I think the biathlon is one of the more compelling sports. Why? Well, cross-country skiers are the best endurance athletes in the world. They're better than marathoners. And the reason that they're so good in endurance athletes is that they're not just moving their legs, the, all the major muscle uh, in their legs, but their arms as well. So it's, and the arms are connected to these two poles. So their arms are not just doing uh, balance work. They're really working. Yeah. So there is a test in athletics called the max VO2, the maximum amount of volume of oxygen that a body can process. Mm -hmm. Cross-country skiers have got the highest off the charts. Marathoners, the next highest. I love cross-country skiers in that they're the great endurance athletes, but the biathlon, how do they slow their heart rate down coming into the shooting zone is a big, big trick. And I love their technique in doing it. First, they slowed their pace down coming into the shooting zone, and then they regulate their breathing. The shots that are fired are timed in between heartbeats. Holy schmoly. How <laughs> that? So your heart is racing going like 150 <clears throat> per minute. How could you possibly time the squeezing of a sugar, the trigger in between heartbeats when their body is most still? Really artistic, really phenomenally, um, just great athletes. And to be able to shoot... First, they shoot in two different positions, standing and then laying. Standing is really, really hard. You have nothing to brace yourself against. So they brace themselves against their own body. But uh, the, that target is 50 meters away, and they're trying to hit something as big as maybe an orange. Do you, uh, mind, do you mind my asking you a question, Gordo? How long is the biathlon track? How long? The disc. Well, there's loops. There's a like they right. will lay out a loop of two kilometers. 
or 1.5 kilometers because but how many times in that loop do they stop to shoot uh once per loop okay. so the loop and then they'll come into the shooting station which is where I, right where the, all the crowd is that's where the stands are so everybody can cheer after every shot is like and then you can tell who's hot it's like you, all the whole stands are going yay Ooh. yeah <laughs> Yeah. And uh, five five shots they got to get off in a row, right. time between for each station. And I, they miss one shot out of that five. They got to do a little penalty time. Right. And sometimes it's in the form of a little pencil penalty loop, an extra skiing, 100 meters extra. They got to ski. Oh, my God. So the pressure is really on. <laughs> and uh, what a what a wonderful event that uh, the greatest endurance athletes in the world can just get into the mind, body, and spirit of really athleticism. I'm with you, Gordon. I, I love that event too. It's it's crazy cool, crazy cool. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. going to pay a lot more attention to it this year, <laughs> <laughs> rather than wait around and watch people falling and crashing. Those things always scare me. Let uh, me a lot of. Let me ask a question, Michael. Um. Gordo, what's your feeling about Biden just, uh, announcing a couple months back that um, while our athletes can play, um, there would be not an official presence uh, or whatever that breaks down to at the Winter Olympics due to China's you know, misbehavior or whatever. Uh, what do you think about that? Politics and sport lives on. So that's all it is, is just um, um politics. It has, uh, the diplomats have nothing to do with the games. They're just there in the stands as part of just uh, witnessing. It's just fluff for them. They have nothing to do with the Olympic games. It's not going to impact the games. They've just less seats taken up by the big wigs in the stands. That's it. So it's- Hey Gordo, what do you got on the tennis world? In the tennis world? Tennis world? Well, just, just, just jump back in, to Michael. the Olympics <laughs> real quick on the Olympics. Um, there's I ha hats off to the IOC International Olympic Committee to add events that are mixed, both men and women competing in the same events. So these mixed relays and mixed events are just fantastic of getting the two uh, genders together in a, in a format. What's new in the tennis world? Well, there's a chump by the name of Djokovic, and that's exactly what he is. He's a joke. Uh, he's trying to get into the Australian Open without a vaccine. Hey, just because you're the world's best at, in a, at one particular sport does not give you the right to circumvent the laws of, and of governments that are you're visiting. Hey, that's the rule of the land in Australia. Play the game. If you want to play the game in the Australian Open, get vaccinated. It's that simple. So uh, I have very little compassion for Djokovic. I think he needs to um, grow up a little bit and uh, be a part of it. The last little deal was Australia denied his visa once again. So he's either he's got to get vaccinated or he's gone. Gordon, during your time at Loyola, you coached some of the finest runners in the country. You had all Americans and a number of people who've gone into the Loyola Hall of Fame, Sports Hall of Fame. We hear tell that you'll be coming back to Chicago soon when yet another member of those illustrious squads, Andre Fambe, 
will be inducted into the Loyola Sports Hall of Fame. How about tell us a little bit about Andre and the other standouts that you coached back in those glory years? Hey, I was really lucky at Loyola to have the greatest recruiting ground in the world, the city of Chicago and the and the suburbs. Um, that 312 area code back before 708 was started. Hey, that was the most fertile ground of middle distance and distance running. Great high school coaching, great programs, um, and kids that are just fired up. Hey, I went back in 19, say 86, when I was recruiting Andre Fomby, I went to a cross country meet to recruit some other young cat. Uh, by the name of Jim Gibson, the best distance runner in the state. And there at that same meet was Andre. And I'm like, who's this guy glued to Jim Gibson? Like there's no space. Who's this guy that just won't be shaken? Who's this guy that won't give up? That looks smooth as silk. And that just was like, holy schmoly. So I quickly forgot about Jim Gibson. I really didn't <laughs> get him. I had a chance to get the next guy who was Andre and what a beautiful, not just runner, but a personality, a gentleman and a great student. It, he made it so easy to recruit. He was one of the most fun persons to recruit. His family was fantastic too. Andre was a minority uh, student and amongst distance runners, he really stuck out for a black man to stick out amongst all hundreds and hundreds of white kids it was like, oh, wow, here's somebody special. But when I met his family, his dad, Cleophas, and his mom, what a great, warm atmosphere. They welcomed me into their home. Mm -hmm. And I immediately fell in love with the whole entire family, not just Andre. I knew I had to get him. Hey, the other cats that, um, excuse me for the bell. Uh, <laughs> The other cats that were on that relay team, the four by 800 relay team with Andre were wonderful. Eddie Slowakowski is already in the Hall of Fame. Um, Mark Burns is already in the Hall of Fame. Um, Andre is getting inducted February in February 19th at the Drake basketball game versus the Ramblers. And then there's the oh. one guy left, and that's Bill Cull. And I hope Bill Cull gets it. Uh, in the uh, Hall of Fame too. It's quite a testimony to your uh, your career, Gordo. I'm really happy for you. That's a great story to uh, hear from you. And uh, maybe when you're uh, in town, not that being out of town keeps you from being on the show, but maybe you'll come back to the show in February and chit chat about it with Michael. Maybe we'll be live from the studio. Maybe. I sure hope so. Those were great really nice days coming from the studio itself. I really enjoy that Loyola studio. Yeah. And, uh, it's really a modern well, place. Thank you bell, so much. The bell rang. You better go teach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm teaching. I'm teaching AutoCAD and I'm teaching <laughs> architecture. <laughs> I got it. I'm going to get it. All right. Thank you very Sign much. On, dear. See you, All Chicago. Right. Adios, Thanks, brother. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia 
all my mind. Georgia, Georgia, a song of you comes as sweet and clear as moonlight. Through the pines Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams I see road leads back to you Georgia Georgia no peace I find just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my Okay. Hello, Han Nguyen. It's good to have you. <laughs> You're a candidate running for Illinois State Representative from the 13th District, soon to be vacated by the current longtime progressive and former majority leader, Greg Harris. So let's begin by you telling us and our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Michael and Katie. It's, uh, again, absolute pleasure to be here today and, and an honor to be here today. And so I want to thank you all and certainly um, thank you to all the folks tuning in today. Um, I wanted to sort of share a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a, a community leader, a small business advocate, uh, and, and I'm an, an uptown resident. Uh, I've, I've worked in community investments my entire life, really making sure that we invest in our families and our kids in Chicago to build a much more equitable city for everyone. And so we, we've invested uh, in anything from education uh, to gun violence prevention initiatives, uh, to workforce development programs, um, to infrastructure projects, to really, again, make Chicago a much more fair city for everyone where folks have opportunity and access. And so that's what I've spent uh, my entire life doing, and, and, and I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to run to uh, replace, um, you know, leader Greg Harris, 
uh, who's been a, a strong progressive and an amazing tight end uh, in the Illinois State House. I saw well, uh, where you grew. Go ahead, Kate. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry for speaking over you, Michael. Um, well, I was just going to ask Khan to tell us a little bit about where he grew up and how he ended up in Chicago. Yeah, you know, so I, I actually uh, am a refugee. Uh, I was actually born in, in Vietnam. Uh, my father fought in the Vietnam War with the United States Allied Forces. Uh, his entire family died during that war, uh, and he spent five years in a prison camp. Uh, so my life is already a bonus. And so we, we were very lucky to have received a political, political asylum to come to the United States uh, uh, in the early 1990s. Uh, thank, uh, thanks to President Jimmy Carter uh, Refugee Act of the 1980, uh, the 1980 Act. Uh, but um, that allowed for us to come over here and, and we came over with nothing. We took a, a very long flight, you know, from, from Vietnam to, to Boston Logan Airport. Uh, and then we took a, a long bus ride. Uh, you know, we lived in Boston for a little bit. We, we were resettled uh, by um, charities and, and organizations uh, on the Northeast. Uh, you know, and then we kind of made our way over to uh, the West Coast. Uh, my mother, uh, she kind of complained that the weather in, in the Northeast was nothing like the weather of, of Vietnam. <laughs> um, you know, so we got a chance to uh, really take a, a bus ride to really explore the United States. And, and I think at one point we definitely stopped by the Midwest, Chicago as well, on, on that Greyhound bus before we uh, landed in uh, Los Angeles, California. And, and then how did you wind up back in Chicago? Yeah, so I, I came here uh, you know, five years ago uh, to work for Chicago Beyond. It's a community investment organization. Uh, we've done, again, uh, investments in you know, uh, the city. We've done investments in um, you know, really making sure that we uh, fight for our kids and our, and our families. So we've done anything from educational investments to housing investments to infrastructure investments to investing in nonprofits and social enterprises, but anything in which we believe can make the city of Chicago a much more equitable city for our young people and to really make sure that folks have opportunity. So I came here for the job itself and, and it was started by uh, Liz Dozier. She was the former principal of Fanger High School uh, and, and she started she the organization. She seems like a real force. Yeah, and, and, and Liz, you know, was, a uh, has been a, an incredible mentor to me. And, and you know, it's certainly, um, you know, I, I'm constantly inspired by, by, you know, it's just the work that, that she's done and certainly who she is as a person and, and just her tenacity to really fight for our young people. And, and certainly, you know, she got her start in Roseland, you know, fighting for our young kids at Fenger High School. And so certainly, you know, I was able to help her, uh, you know, I was able to help join the fight with her at Chicago Beyond to make sure that we invest in our young people and invest in, in the potential uh, of, of our fellow Chicagoans. And, uh, so tell us a little bit about what you know about Illinois state politics and why you chose to enter the fray and why did you choose to run as a state rep? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, when I was back in college, uh, I had, uh, a few professors who were from Chicago. Uh, they were from the Chicago School of Sociology. Uh, they were trained in, in, in sort of understanding policies in Chicago. And I, I got a chance to really understand um, Chicago's policies, the ways in which Chicago was, was built as a city, um, the redlining that happened uh, you know, in Chicago. And so there's a lot of those systemic and sort of history of 
of decades of systemic disinvestments in our city uh, and certainly, you know, in pockets of our states as well. And certainly, you know, I, I, I gravitated towards that. And certainly uh, when I looked at, you know, Illinois state politics, you know, it's uh, right now it's very exciting. You know, we have a, a supermajority in, in the House and the Senate. We have new leaders stepping up and we, we've done a lot in the past couple of years under um, Governor Pritzker to really push this, the, you know, the state forward, you know, coming out of what was happening in the previous administration. So we were able to, you know, raise the minimum wage, right? Lead on that and raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, you know, which will be enacted pretty soon in the next couple of years. And then we also got a chance to push for, you know, Rebuild Illinois, a, a huge infrastructure project that's going to put $45 billion into transforming our roads and our bridges and our infrastructure and, and making sure that we have, uh, we, we bill more equitably for, for all folks in Illinois. Uh, and, you know, we certainly have, have also been pushing, you know, to increase funding uh, $350 million in education as well, right? So there's a lot of excitement right now happening in, in Springfield. Uh, and certainly, you know, we've done a lot of work, but there's a lot more work to be done. And certainly we know that this pandemic has exacerbated a lot of the inequalities in Illinois, a lot of folks have been left behind. A lot of folks were already left behind during the pandemic. So we need to do better. We need to build forward. And, and I think this is an, an exciting time to really join that fight and, and really represent um, you know, our neighbors, uh, our communities and, and folks who have historically been left out of, of that process. I, uh, I'm really glad to um, get this chance to meet you um, because you, I saw on your website, your, your campaign website, that you've got a good friend of mine on your side, and that's uh, Paul Igasaki. Um, Paul and I worked together to elect Harold Washington, and his brother David was instrumental in getting some um, anti-Asian uh, anti American protest, uh, some violence to, you know, facing it. Also, my good friend Tina Chen was also on your website. Um, you have a, a special advantage coming into this work now being not a white person, <laughs> basically. You're talking, everything you just said spoke to um, our history as an institu institutionally racist uh, city. Um, and as a state rep, you will be able to, um, to work on that further and I from it sounds like Chicago Beyond is such a great outfit uh, that allowed for you to be doing that work already share with us some things that in the district that um, you're running the 13th which is just below our district the 14th with Kelly Cassidy um, what are some of the front burner issues for you were you to be elected in November yeah, definitely, Katie. And, and I think, you know, we have been listening uh, to our, our neighbors, our community members, uh, you know, local community organizations over the past several months, you know, and we've been really listening and understanding, again, some of the challenges our, that our neighbors are facing, that our community members are facing, that our community organizations are facing. Uh, and certainly, you know, I think when you look at the 13th district, there is a lot of diversity in the 13th district, you know, totally. it, yeah. it is, you know, 45 percent uh ethnic minority, you know, there are over nine different languages spoken in the 13th district. And I think even if you walk, um, you know, by certain blocks, right, you walk a few blocks, uh, you can see a wide array of different life experiences, uh, different median household incomes, and even, you know, a, a, 
a drop in life expectancies, right, in a matter of blocks in the 13 districts. So certainly, you know, we, we want to make sure that we continue um, Leader Harris' legacy of fighting for those who've been underserved, of fighting for uh, the LGBTQ community, of fighting for immigrant and minority populations, of fighting for, for women and fighting for, for people of color. We definitely want to continue Leader Harris' legacy there and, and build on that as well, right? And so what we've seen and what we've heard and listened to from our neighbors is, you know, there are a lot of challenges that we have right now. Uh, certainly, you know, one of the biggest ones being uh, small businesses, right? You know, we, we, we have a lot of small business corridors in the 13 district, uh, anywhere from uh, Uptown to Ravenswood, uh, to Andersonville, um, to Lincoln Square, right? I mean, you have Clark Street, you have Argyle Street, you have Broadway. And so you have a lot of small businesses, small businesses right, right now that are struggling, you know, during this pandemic and, and, and they need help, right? So we need to make sure that we invest again in our small businesses. Uh, we also got to make sure that we make it much more equitable, right, to that our small business owners can access capital and funding, right? We, we know that there's a huge disparity when it comes to uh, women and women of color and, and minority entrepreneurs who are starting up small businesses, right, and, and really gain that capital to really start a small business. But we also know, uh, you know, you know, that we need to really support our small businesses during this time. Um, you know, we need to make sure that they open uh, and operate safely, uh, but at the same time, make sure that they have the support and resources that they need to survive and thrive during this pandemic. The other thing that we've been really listening and, and hearing from our neighbors uh, is, is really housing. Uh, housing is, is, is a big deal right now uh, in our, our district, you know, housing affordability. And certainly, um, you know, this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. You know, we have a homelessness problem in the 13 district, yeah. uh, a lot of folks who, who don't have access to affordable housing. And certainly, you know, I, I serve on, on the associates board of Sarah Circle, uh, a, a women's nonprofit that addresses uh, housing uh, for women. And, and certainly, you know, my mother actually also experienced homelessness at one point during her life as well. So, you know, this is an issue that I really care about. Uh, and, and so, you know, we need to make sure that housing is affordable for folks in 13 districts. We need to make sure that housing is a human right you know we need to move we need to uh really take on a housing first approach you know of really making sure that we we, we put folks who are experiencing homelessness into housing first and foremost right and i think so when you look at maslow's hierarchy hierarchy of needs the first thing that you need at the very bottom is safety housing and shelter and, and food, right? And so, and, and before anyone can really reach their fullest human potential. So we need to make sure that that gets done. And I believe we, we can do that, right? I believe that when we look at large developments coming in, we need to make sure that we allocate um, for affordable housing. We need to also look at mixed income housing. We need to also look at innovative housing models like tiny homes, uh, looking at how other states have moved from shipping containers to making shipping containers affordable housing. Han Win, Han Win, we got we're going to run out of time here, um, but we are so happy to have you. Uh, I have a feeling we will be speaking to you again, um, uh, and good luck in your petition gathering, your signature gathering, and good luck with your health. I'm sure you will uh, come out of isolation just fine. Uh, we've all been going through this, um, so where do people go to get involved with your campaign? Yeah, no, uh, thank you so much, Katie and Michael, again, for having me here today. It's been a great pleasure um, to get involved in our grassroots campaign. This is an inclusive campaign 
Uh, we're fighting for a much more equitable future for everyone to have meaningful opportunity. Please visit votehan.com. Uh, That's V-O-T-E-H-O-A-N.com. Uh, this whole entire weekend, we'll be gathering signatures. Uh, I myself will be quarantining, but we got amazing volunteers. So please go to votehan.com dash events uh, to check out events this weekend. It'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Martin Luther King Day as well on Monday. So we got a full array of different time slots for folks, you know, all throughout the day. And we definitely want to see folks out there uh, join us on the campaign trail. And, and I myself, you know, will, will make sure that I, I, I gave my health back and, and, and certainly get back there with, with folks as well. But this is an inclusive campaign. We got six months to do this. Uh, and, and we got to make sure that we, we, we get our message across to, to as many voices as possible and make sure that uh, we run a very inclusive campaign. And as folks have noticed, uh, we've done a very language inclusive campaign as well on our website. Okay, uh, Han Nguyen, it's a pleasure to meet you. And we'll talk to you yeah. again. And, and I'm look, next time you're on, I'm gonna ask you what you do for fun. <laughs> okay. Next time. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks so much, Kate. Have, have a great day. Both. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Wow, that was cool to meet that young man. Um, it, yeah, it's an impressive young guy. Interestingly enough, while we were recording that, that phone call that came in was from Senator Simmons uh, from our district. Uh, who is working on restoring voting rights for people incarcerated. Um, he's working, I think, with State Rep. LaShawn Ford on that. And um, they're hosting a town hall, uh, which is January 31st. So we might actually have them on the show next week, which we, will be before that, to talk about that um, and to restore the right to vote for people serving in Illinois state prisons. Uh, so let's see, in memoriam, we have Michael. Well, Clyde Bellacourt passed away at the age of 85. Uh, he was uh, one of the founders of the American Indian Movement, which began up in uh, the Franklin Street area, I think in Minneapolis, where they, like the Black Panthers and other organizations, had community police patrols that would follow the police and question them when they mishandled uh, situations and arrests. Uh, you know, the American Indian Movement was responsible for the sit-in at Wounded Knee. Uh, they've done a lot of stuff. There are various outshoots of AIM still acting up. We're going to miss him. We've met his brother who was at the Heartland along with John Trudell. Remember that Leonard Peltier is still alive and is still incarcerated. And um, we also want to remember Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes. And we're going to go out with her Playing, uh, well, we might. We, we'll make no promises. <laughs> Depending on how much time we have, we may hear okay. "Be My Baby." But for the for all of you who don't know about her, play some uh, Ronnie Spector music for yourself on YouTube. You'll enjoy it. For over 25 years, we have brought you live from the Heartland, now called Heartland at Home, broadcast every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Central on Chicago's WLUW 88.7 FM streaming live from www.org. And we are archived on our channel at youtube.com slash Heartland Media. And now on Spotify and Google Podcasts, type in live from the Heartland. Thank you for listening. We thank our team, uh, Luis, Lynn, and uh, podcast director, Gwen. Gwen Brown. Do good in the world. Hey, the world needs all the good that we do. All power to the all people. All power to the people.